a long time ago. It's the ship that made the castle run in less than 12 parts and the great disturbance of the force. I told you she would never partially betray the rebellion. That's no move. Caught in a trap and it's pulling us in. Marvel Comics Group, at last, beyond the movie, beyond the galaxy, Star Wars! Master Luke, this time we don't dare let the Wookiee win, friend against friend, on a star-lost world, deadly reunion. Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away, there exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. This is their story. Stan Lee presents Star Wars, the greatest space fantasy of all, continuing the saga begun in the film by George Lucas, Day of the Dragon Lords. Archie Goodwin, writer-editor, Carmine Infantino and Terry Austin artists, Rick Parker, letterer, Janice Cohen, colorist, and Jim Shooter, consulting editor, and thus begins Star Wars, issue number 13, from April 1978, with a cover date of July 1978. Our cover artist for this issue is none other than John Byrne, with Terry Austin providing the inks. On Drexel, Luke Skywalker decides to join Governor Quarg's group in their battle against the Dragon Lords, at least for the time being. Meanwhile, aboard Crimson Jack's space cruiser, Han Solo is trying to talk his way out of trouble when Jack and his crew realize that they have been duped into coming to Drexel. But Quarg's jamming equipment on the planet's surface causes a disruption on the space cruiser, which is enough of a diversion to allow Han Solo, Chewbacca, and Princess Leia to escape in the Millennium Falcon and rush to the surface below. The Falcon splashes onto the water-covered surface of Drexel, right in the middle of an epic battle between Governor Quarg's Hydrocraft and the Dragon Lords. One of the Hydrocraft attacks the Millennium Falcon just as Han Solo, Princess Leia, and Chewbacca are exiting from the top hatch. Luke seeks to intervene and is piloting a hydrocraft in the battle. Immediately, he turns his attention to those who have splashed in the water and tries to save their lives. He finds only Chewbacca, who, in an instinctive act of rage, reaches out to Luke and grabs him by the neck, making him and feeling that he is responsible for the attack. And he is enraged. Then, we leave on that climactic end with essentially all of our heroes being captured by Governor Quarg and his men from this water world, this doom world. And we are left with the teaser title of the next issue, issue number 14 being Call It Armageddon. Wow, this is an exciting issue where we finally have the meeting up again of Luke Skywalker with Chewbacca. We're unsure of the fates of Han Solo and Princess Leia, but we can't help but think that they have also been captured by Governor Quarg and his men and have been imprisoned just as Luke, Chewie, C-3PO, and R2-D2 have as we are left on that last panel of this book. This is an illustrative tour de force, an incredible marriage of talents here on this book. I thoroughly enjoyed when we had Howard Schenken providing the illustrations for the first 10 or so issues of the series. And I did enjoy Roy Thomas's writing. However, I have noticed incredible level of quality that we have now graduated to 
in these Marvel Star Wars adaptations and original stories now. And mind you, the Roy Thomas and Howard Schenken stuff was still outstanding. But this is taking it to a whole other level. I really have enjoyed Archie Goodwin's story here in this water world, this doom world, and the developing of these cultures and this Governor Quarg. And in this particular issue, Governor Quarg gives the genesis of his people in how his father had safely landed their doomed ship onto this world and how they just scrapped to survive after essentially having been belters of that area. And that essentially this world provided everything that they could possibly need except for for metal, metal to maintain their fallen ship and their technology. Now, aboard their ship, there were techs there, and his father blamed the techs for the failings of what had happened here, and the techs actually went ahead and started a rebellion. Instead of killing off those techs, those technicians who worked on droids and all the various electronics on the ships. He let them go and let them afloat on rafts and thought that these sea dragons would ultimately end up eating them. He would later come to realize that that was a fatal mistake because what those texts turned into were actually the dragon riders. And the descendants of those original folks are now the current dragon riders, the sea dragon riders on this planet. So that sets up the dynamics, and it's really cool to see that flashback happen here in this issue. You get a really cool context of some good world building happening. Now let's get on to the illustrations. Carmine Infantino is an illustrative Hall of Famer. I mean, his talents are just legendary. He has them on full display here. The details in the pencilings, you can tell, are exquisite because just as powerful as those pencils were the inks. And the reason I know this is because the inks were done with such care, with such attention to detail, to preserve the details of the pencilings. Terry Austin is one of the best inkers ever. I am so impressed with Terry's work here. It's just exquisite. Everything from the intricacies and the detail of R2-D2 and C-3PO, to the stubble on the face of Governor Quark, to the facial expressions that Luke Skywalker has. None of that angst, anxiety, action is lost at all because very clearly Carmine Infantino provided incredible detail and Terry Austin did everything within his power to preserve those fantastic pencils. I just cannot say enough. The The work is exquisite. The colorings are very tasteful. I don't feel like I'm being saturated with a bunch of primary colors here. Reds are used for good dramatic effect. Very rarely are backgrounds just given a single color and then moved on. You do have some sky illustrations, almost a reddish purple to make it look as if an explosion is beginning to happen. But for the most part, most of the backgrounds here are detailing action, whether it be laser fire on a ship that's blowing up, whether it is a huge wave that's about to crash on one of these skimmer boats, whether it is the background of the ship that Governor Quarg is on whether it is the interior of the ship that we see Crimson Jack on, along with Han Solo and Princess Leia and Chewbacca. There is evidence here that a lot of care, a lot of deliberate detail work 
was included for the enjoyment of the audience. The computer consoles that are manned both on Governor Quark's ship or the remnants of the ship that his father had crashed on this world that this floating base is on. They're fantastic. I love the throwback of the ship and maritime culture that is on full display in this issue. You have everything from traditional riggings to masts and what you would expect to see out of one of the great wooden sailing ships. But then this blend of technology happening too. I could see where the creators of the visual stylings for the movie Waterworld, which would come out in the 90s, may have gotten some inspiration had they read this. And Carmine Infantino, in this one breathtaking panel, provides a very dramatic sunrise happening. And on the horizon are all of these sea dragon riders on their sea dragons. And you have Governor Quarg's men declaring, Dragons! A whole blasted army of them! It's a full-scale attack. It's just breathtaking art. It, it, it is just fantastic. And it's fantastic because of the level of detail, the tasteful selection of the colors, and again, Terry Austin's inks preserving the wonderful detail of one Carmine Infantino. Well, kids, we hope that you are continuing to enjoy our journey into this original run of Star Wars comics, this Legends run. Obi-Wan, take us out. Your destiny lies about a different path from mine. The Force will be with you. This Marvel Legends comic book series is dedicated in loving memory of Charles Lippincott, who George Lucas hired in late 1975 to join the first Star Wars production as Vice President of Advertising, Publicity, Promotion, and Merchandising. To quote George, Charlie was one of the founding pillars of the Star Wars films and phenomenon. He began in earnest the concept of licensing motion pictures at a time when only other company doing so was Disney. Charlie was the one who said early on that we can make this work and was the first person to both develop Star Wars licensing and engage with the fans. He had insights into marketing and public relations that were truly unparalleled. And prime example of that is San Diego Comic-Con today. Charlie is widely credited for setting the trajectory of Star Wars fandom with his grassroots-style convention presentations beginning in 1976, well before the release of the first film. Those early appearances included Mark Hamill, who accompanied Charlie on a promotional tour for Star Wars, this barnstorming of conventions celebrating science fiction, fantasy, and comic books resulted in movie theaters welcoming large crowds of fans on Star Wars opening day, due in large part to Charlie's early promotional efforts. In addition, Charlie sought out the very first comic book and toy deals with Marvel and Kenner, now Hasbro, respectively. Two iconic legacies that continue to this day. Thank you, Charlie, for Star Wars comics becoming a reality. And that's what this Legends series is all about. The Force will be with him always.